Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Special Summer Series The Story of Drihid, Part 1. Drihid is an interesting word. Before 2013, it meant nothing other than bridge in the Irish language. But since then, it has divided the teaching world, polarising teachers, principals, schools and even representative bodies. It seems everyone sits on one side of the bridge. In general, you have people who love it and then you have people who hate it. And there's very little in between. But how did this bridge between initial teacher training and becoming a registered teacher become so controversial? I've been following the Drihid story since its beginning and I think I probably have as much information on it as I'm ever going to get. In this summer series, I'm going to tell the story of Drihid, how it became riddled in union politics and what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with a special summer series of If I Were the Minister for Education. If I Were the Minister for Education is a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to the podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell all your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education about the podcast so they can listen to it. Now, I could probably blame this entire podcast, if I were the Minister for Education, on Drihid. Or maybe, to put it another way, this podcast may not have existed if it weren't for Drihid. I've been writing about Drihid for a very long time, since perhaps 2012-2013, trying to piece together how we ended up with a system that is most likely going to make the profession of teacher a much less professional career. I've resisted recording this episode for the last couple of years because I thought there was going to be more to come out. But whether I like it or not, Drihid is basically, I would say, now embedded in the primary education system as it is. Over the next while, I'm going to tell you about the story of Drihid uh, from its beginning when the INTO were screaming never, never when it was being introduced to the end when the same organisation did everything they could to get it over the line. To me, Drihid was a bridging point in the primary education system. It came at a time when the primary education system was going through massive changes thanks to the recession, from a time where the average age of a teacher reduced significantly, when the reins of power in the IPPN and the INTO changed hands, and the relationship between the Department of Education and its stakeholders was renamed to Partners. You can expect lots of terrible bridge puns throughout this summer series as I build my story of Drihid and why I just can't get over it. 
Like all good stories, Trihit starts with some drama. Or perhaps theatre might be more accurate. Actually, come to think of it, it was actually pure pantomime. The year was 2012, 10 years ago, and Ireland was in the depths of a recession. We were feeling the real impact of the end of the Celtic Tiger, and the Croke Park Agreement was a year old and cuts to wages and conditions were coming thick and fast. A moratorium on posted responsibility, the end of resource teachers for travellers, teachers of English as additional language, and the beginning of a two-tier pay system for teachers. A few months earlier was the introduction of the ridiculous SSE, that's the as what I don't even know what it stands for anymore, I just call it SSE, School Self-Evaluation, sorry, and the Literacy and Numeracy Strategy, which uh, came in as emergency measures because of a blip in the PISA results, which corrected itself without any intervention before it even came into part and is now also embedded into our education system. But anyway, as well as that, there were swathing cuts to support hours for children with additional needs and, of course, cuts to teacher wages. For many principals, there was a triple whammy. Not only was there a cut to the basic wage, but bigger cuts for those in the job the longest, and then the ignominy of, is that how you pronounce that word? Ignominy of being the only public sector workers to have their benchmarking award unpaid. Outside of education, most of the country found themselves owning a house that was worth a fraction of what they'd paid for it, and many families had little choice but to emigrate, with one in six families losing at least one member of their immediate family to another country. And none of this had anything to do with the pantomime of January 2012, which took place in the City West complex at the Irish Primary Principals Network's annual conference. Now, for those of you who don't know, the IPPN conference is a highlight in almost every school principal's diary, and it certainly was a much bigger highlight back then than it is today. I know that most principals lived <laughs> lived for this conference every year. The job was quite is the job, as most people know, is quite a stressful one, and this is two to three days of um, of just sitting back and listening to amazing speakers speaking about uh, educational leadership, but also a bit of time for networking and having a little bit of fun in the evenings. But if you can just take a listen, now this is 2012, take a listen to the list of their speakers in 2012. There was Mary Robinson, who I assume needs no introduction, Michael Fullan, who is a worldwide authority on educational reform, a massive character from Canada, Ben Walton, who is also known as Contender Charlie, honestly, just look him up, he is astoundingly good, and David Putnam, who at that time was a lord and probably one of the most important speakers about education in the world. Now, if you just, and this is nothing to do with this podcast, but if just take a cursory glance at the 2022 lineup and you'll see the difference. Just honestly, just do it as a bit of a laugh. Anyway, once you've done that, come back and have a look at some of the, um, and just compare it really, because I suppose one of the other speakers, and maybe one of the more minor speakers at the 2012 conference, was the Chief Inspector Harold Hislop who coincidentally will be a speaker at the 2022 lineup for the first time in a long time, and since then. And despite being in the same lineup as some of the most influential education leaders in the world, 
it was actually Harold Hislop who is probably the person that most principals of a certain age will remember. The Chief Inspector's speech at the conference is not one that would inspire someone in general. One might expect a summary of the key findings of their previous year, complete with graphs and bullet points on a boring PowerPoint slide with dull Department of Education branding. And you might expect to hear some plans for the curriculum, and in this year's case, what the Literacy and Numeracy initiative was going to throw up. All very dull stuff. Now, I can't remember exactly when this happened in a speech, and I may be using a bit of poetic license here, but do you remember when Steve Jobs was alive, okay? And he would speak to all those Apple fanboys and fangirls, and he'd list a few bits and bobs, and there'd be wild applause at every, nearly every announcement. And just when you thought it was all over, and he'd, you know, he'd look to kind of walk off the stage, thank you, thank you everybody, and, and then he'd sort of turn and he'd go, and he'd put his ha hand on his forehead, and, he, and he'd say something, like, oh, oh, and one more thing. And then he produced some amazing new product. So I, I remember when the iPad was, um, was launched. I remember when the iPod was launched. You know, this revolutionary product. And the crowd would go absolutely mental. Well, 2012, this was Harold Hislop's moment. Now, I can't find a recording of this speech because the IPPM don't make them public. So again, you'll have to forgive a little bit of poetic license here. Harold Hislop, the chief inspector, stood in front of about a thousand principals and said, Oh, and one more thing. Um, and he began, he didn't really say, oh, and one more thing. But anyway, he said something along the lines. We've been looking at the probation of teachers and we've realised that we can't do a lot of our other work because we're spending so much time visiting schools to inspect newly qualified teachers. So we've decided that we're going to pass the probation of teachers onto you, principals. Now, if you can imagine a collective gasp of 1,000 adults in an echoey tent, followed by a chorus of, oh, no, we won't. And without blinking, Harold said, Oh, yes, you will. And it carried on like that for a bit until the room descended into grumbles. That doesn't sound good. It descended into, anyway, it was grumbles because principals are too polite for uproar. It was a lot of loud grumbling. Now, nobody really remembers what he said after that, but the scene was set. Out of nowhere, principals were being told that they were not only going to be taking on a significant new role, it was a role that would effectively change the entire terms and conditions of the teaching profession. The word for principal in Irish is priv ija, or literally the main teacher, or the first teacher, the first among equals, as it is often, often named. However, this plan was going to change principles, from being the first among equals to being the judge, the jury and executioner of any new teacher coming into the system. And given the parochial nature of Ireland's education system, this was something that was never going to work. Never mind that the job was going to be unpaid. And then, of course, there was a whole question of what were the inspectors going to be doing with all this free time that they were going to have? Well, the answer, of course, was going to be spending more time inspecting schools, which is about as popular with principals and teachers as visiting the dentist. 
And if things couldn't be any worse, who is going to be in charge of rolling out this change? Well, in 2012, there was only one organisation in the education system who could claim to be extremely unpopular with its members. And how to make them even more unpopular was this new plan, which they were deciding to take on. And that organisation was the Teaching Council, who by 2012 had achieved almost nothing except to take an annual fee from teachers. Well, now, in fairness, that's not quite true. They had quite a decent mentoring service called the NIPT, which newly qualified teachers used. Anyway, the Teaching Council's first foray into changing the education landscape was to get rid of this excellent service and move to the concept of principals probating NQTs. Now, they didn't fully get rid of it, but in many ways, they, I suppose, downgraded it. Their argument was that the Irish education system should be a self-regulating one, and this was an excellent way of doing this. And with when within days, days of Harold Hislop's pantomime, the first step in the plan was released by the Teaching Council, which was a scheme called CEPP, or C-E-P-P, the Career Entry Professional Programme. Now, not the most beautiful of names to abbreviate, but in 2012, the trend had not yet begun in name initiatives, um, in naming initiatives, kind of these funky sounding Irish names. And we were all about the old TLAs, the three letter acronyms, and SEP was basically an AFLA or another four letter acronym. Now, I'm, uh, I'm going to put um, a link to a document which will, um, will be, might be helpful to you um, in the show notes around this document because it was called a consultative document. Now, don't worry, in 2012, consultation still meant the same thing as it does today. And for those of you who don't know what a consultation means in the education world, basically it consists of an agency coming up with a plan and then asking everyone to give their input onto that plan. And no matter what they actually give in that input, the original plan is basically produced anyway. And there's loads of examples of this in action. Now, some of you will call me cynical and tell me loads of examples where consultations did work. But the reality is that any changes that were made had nothing to do with consultation and everything to do with protest, as we will see as we move through the chapters of this story. Take, for example, the primary language curriculum. Everyone said in the offset that it wasn't going to work and it was terrible and no one would understand it. If you fast forward seven years later with this primary language curriculum, it was supposed to be in about, I think, within about two years. We're seven years into it. The department are still trying to flog this ridiculous curriculum, constantly trying to adapt it and shoehorn it into something slightly comprehensible. And the reason for this is because every time they send out their minions in the PDST to deliver the training, they're met time and time and time again with protest about how bad it is. And over the last couple of years, the protests are dying down, as is natural when someone keeps flogging the same thing over and over, and one finally gets, you know, ends up resigning to it and essentially finds ways to circumnavigate it, basically. In Ireland, this has taken, basically in Ireland, it, there are very few teachers who are actually looking at that primary language curriculum and using it as their foundation for their planning. 
in fact, in Ireland, what's happening is that almost every school are basically taking on either the Over the Moon series from Gill or the Rainbow series from CJ Fallon. And there's a couple of teachers who've made a side hustle um, from doing the hard work as well. So there's a couple of teachers out there selling um, long-term plans and short-term plans for this primary language curriculum. I mean, basically, the people on the ground have done the work the PDST and the NCCA should have been doing. But anyway, back to Drihid or SEP as it started its life. I want to go through the document with you to help us, I suppose, understand the amount of work that had gone into this scheme before Harold Hislop announced it. This wasn't put together in a few weeks, though some might argue it has a look of that. That was, you know, this was thought through. This whole set thing was thought through before Harold Hislop announced it. And in fairness, I've seen that this was all put in place and started to be put in place back in 2010 when who was the Minister for Education? Only Mary Coughlin. Now, I don't know if many of you remember Mary Coughlin's tenure. It was a quite a short tenure as the Minister for Education. But I thought, and I, I, I suppose I'm wrong, but I thought in her tenure, nothing happened. But in fact, this dread or SEP as it, as it began, started in 2010 under her watch. Who would have thought that, I guess I'm surprised really, that this particular minister did anything at all, never mind entirely wreck the education system with it. But two years later anyway, this SEP document was released. And what I want to do is I want to go through it and I want to point out the immediate problems SEP has. Now, they won't be any surprise to most people, but apart from that, I think it's really important for us to understand how we got from the first iteration of Drihid and its consultation, and I suppose what Drihid ended up becoming. I won't spoil the fun, but I've popped up a link to the document, as I said, in the, short, uh, in the show notes. So have a read of it and see, and see if you can tell me how much difference there is between the first iteration of SEP in 2012 and what ended up becoming Drihid? I mean, I think it's probably worth doing that um, because, um, you know, you'll notice something. You'll notice something, I guess, not quite um, unusual in that there's probably not that much difference between SEP and Drihid. And what I'm going to do is maybe go through uh, it now, just so you can see it. Um, but before I delve into the SEP document, I thought it might be useful to explain to you the process for probating teachers before Drihid, because I think some of you may not know a world before Drihid. What happened before Drihid steamrolled into schools? I mentioned I kind of mentioned this briefly in the last episode, but I didn't really get into it. The role of probation teachers fell onto the inspectorate. And essentially what happened is a newly qualified teacher taught their class, they get a job, their first job, and they taught their class. And twice a year, the inspector would come into the school and observe them teaching their lessons and go through all of their paperwork. And at the end, decide whether the teacher was sawstool or me hostool. Satisfactory, that was the highest available honour, or not satisfactory, which essentially you know, meant that you failed your probation. Now, it wasn't a very effective system because, well, for two reasons. Number one, it was extremely 
stressful because everything depended on one or maybe two days. But possibly more importantly, it was really easy to game it um, if you were that way inclined. Essentially, what happened was most newly qualified teachers practiced a set of lessons with their class and when the inspector came, out came those pre-prepared lessons and everyone, even the children, were kind of in, the, in on the game. They kind of knew, look, this is the inspector lessons, let's pretend we've never done these before and so on and so forth. And sometimes some schools took out children who may not play along with the game so well. And, you know, hmm, you know, it was easy enough to game. And, you know, everything rested on this particular day in the calendar year. And if that day didn't go well, well, in a way, in a way that was that. You had to repeat your, your year. And if you were in a temporary job or if you were just covering a maternity leave, whatever it might have been, you know, it was, it meant you may not get a job the following year. And I remember sitting in meetings at the end of a day when the newly qualified teacher and the inspector were sitting there waiting for the inspector to tell them whether this uh, the NQT would pass or pro- were being considered probated, and there were even even though even though you know almost always they would pass the probation um, and they would be sawstool. There were almost always tears, and they were generally tears of absolute relief that the whole thing was over, and the celebrations after that matched the relief with many schools giving flowers to the newly qualified teacher and having a big cake in the staff room to celebrate passing this probation. It was artificial, stressful, and not an effective way to probate teachers. And when I spoke to an inspector involved in the change from this old system to the Drihid system, she said the only kind of good thing about the inspection is you could probably catch about 2% of teachers before they were actually probated and let into the system fully. And to be perfectly frank, they'd probably miss about 2%, the same amount, who probably gamed the system well enough to scrape through an inspection. So, I mean, essentially what we're saying is that 4% of newly qualified teachers who got through college probably weren't good enough to be let loose as fully probated teachers. So would the Teaching Council's planned SEP model be more effective in catching that stray 4% of NQTs who got through college without being good enough. Well, the Teaching Council published its consultative document, SEP, shortly after Harold Hislop's speech, which, as we know, went down like a lead balloon. Now, I'm going to take my very first leap in this episode and argue that I believe that moment where Harold Hislop made his lead balloon pantomime was actually a big turning point in the education system, in particular the relationship between the IPPN, the Principals Network, and the INTO. And for those of you who are not long in the game, up until relatively recently, the INTO, that's the Teachers Union, was none too pleased with the establishment of the IPPN in the year 2000. In fact, that's probably an understatement. The INTO really, really don't like anyone stepping onto their patch. It's kind of mafia-like. And when the IPPN was established fully in 2000, the reaction was fierce. Essentially, if you were a principal, you were either INTO 
or IPPN. You're a team INTO or team IPPN. You wouldn't be both. You might be a member of both, but you were either one or the other. Joining the IPPN was a bit like playing soccer if you were a member of a GAA club back in the day. However, Harold Hislop's speech managed to strike a note that neither the IPPN nor the INTO could digest. And for the very first time, possibly, they joined forces. Now, let's just park that there for a little while because there are many, many twists and turns to come. Let's finally get to that document and explore what Drihid could have looked like. Now, I'm not going to read the entire 40-page document, so you consider this a summary of it, or as I like to call them, a live poetry reading of the document. And it's, it's, it's an extremely boring document, so you may want to listen to the rest of this episode if you're suffering from, I don't know, um, what's that thing if you can't sleep? Um, gosh, it's the name of the um, Faithless song. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember it. Insomnia, my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> maybe I should give you a warning. Uh, I suppose as well, not to listen to this while driving or operating heavy machinery. Anyway, only messing. Kind of. Anyway, right, let's get on with it. You're probably going, come on, Simon, get on with the document. Well, the document begins with an introduction explaining what SEP was to be, and I'll read this so you can get a tone of how boring it is. In SEP, the Council is proposing an innovative, integrated and improved entry into the teaching profession for NQTs for the purpose of ensuring that they are competent practitioners, having regard to standards for full registration established by the Council. SEP is designed to ensure that that the transition from student-teacher to independent practitioner is a very positive and professional experience. The NQT is central to the process, assuming professional responsibility for his or her work, being supported by a mentor and the school principal, and participating in a multifaceted induction programme facilitated by the National Induction Programme for Teachers, NIPT. Satisfactory engagement in and completion of a SEP programme, including its school-based and out-of-school strands, will be mandatory for NQTs seeking full registration with the Teaching Council. It is entirely separate to probation for employment purposes, which is a matter for the employer. Now, told you it was boring. And it was so promising in the first line. Did you hear it? I thought it was great. It's proposing an innovative, integrated and improved entry. I mean, just listen to that alliteration. But if you manage not to zone out, basically what it was saying was very little. The only thing that might raise a bit of an eyebrow was the specific mention of the school principal. We'll get there. Anyway, let's see if there are any details to this. Now, the document goes on to say how initial teacher education is undergoing a significant reconceptualization, which actually made me laugh out loud. I, I mean, I am very easily amused because we all know what that meant, this significant reconceptualization. And extras, <laughs> I can't, it's such a long word, um, for something that actually had nothing to it. It was an extra year at college for undergraduates, a longer teaching practice, which, for, I mean, they still haven't figured out what the purpose of it is and this is like 10 years on and changing the name of teacher training to initial teacher education which almost nobody cares about or even uses except for people that work in initial teacher education and they get really cross at me when I still call it teacher training. It's kind of like when the IPBM broke out the bottles of champagne when they convinced the government to change the principal admin days to leadership and management days without, abs- without any change whatsoever to their purpose. Anyway, 
because of their significant reconceptualization, they claimed the SEP program will build on the foundations established in ITE for the teacher's lifelong learning journey and will extend and deepen the knowledge, skills and competence developed in that phase. Together, the reconceptualized ITE programs and the new SEP program will ensure that teachers are prepared appropriately for entry to their professional role. So, so far, absolutely no detail. Don't worry though, we finally will get to its guiding principles, which may be of interest, although I confess very few of them are. There are 10 of them, and most interesting of them all was actually the first one. And in many ways, the entire scheme rested on the success of the first principle, which was ownership of the process by the teaching profession Experienced practitioners are trusted to assume responsibility for the entry of NQTs into the profession. And as we'll see over the next while, this was the guiding principle that caused almost all of the controversy. Essentially, the plan was, as Harold Hislop said, that experienced teachers and principals would be trusted to police whether an NQT could fully enter the teaching profession. I'm using the word police very deliberately here because it's accurate. <laughs> That's the only reason. I know it's an emotive word to some people, but it's actually the word. I know some people are arguing with me that was, it's only my interpretation, but no matter how hard some of the proponents of SEP tried to convince people that it was a collaborative system where the principal, teacher and NQT decided whether the NQT was good enough to pass the year, ultimately I cannot imagine a single instance where an NQT would fail themselves. It's like me correcting my own leaving cert with my teachers. Even if I didn't think I deserved enough points to get into the course I wanted, you could be sure as hell I would have confidently stated that I was ready and able to do the course that I wanted, even if I didn't think I had enough points. Anyway, we'll continue with the other nine guiding principles so we can see what the plans were. Number two, integration. Between the school-based and out-of-school strands between and between SEP and previous subsequent stages on the continuum of teacher education. I, I mean, I, I kind of think that's fairly uncontroversial, but it's entirely meaningless. I don't really understand it. But let's move on to number three. Progression is another guiding principle. SEP is part of a career-long developmental process that builds on the experience of ITE and extends and deepens the knowledge, skills and competence acquired during that phase. Now, this could be argued as being the first clue for the bigger plan of the Teaching Council. Though it wasn't named here, it did lay the foundation for something called cusson. Yep, another Irish word, this time meaning footpath. Well, probably means pathway, but I, I prefer footpath because it means nothing. Which, interestingly enough, has its own very, its very own controversial story, which I don't think we'll get into now. I want to keep going, but briefly the idea of Cusson originally was that it was to be a professional development scheme whereby teachers would only be able to keep their teaching council number if they did a certain amount of CPD every year that was registered uh, and, by, and acceptable to the teaching council. And as of this recording, it's been shelved in all but name, and the teaching council is essentially pretending that it exists even though it has no impact anyway let's move on number four support is one of their guiding principles and there will be an emphasis on supporting and nurturing the NQT identifying those NQTs who need additional support 
promoting support among NQTs, establishing professional support groups, the provision of support for mentors and principals by the NIPT, and the collaboration of the inspectorate. Now, this would all have been part of SEP had the first point got through. However, most of the above just didn't happen. The NIPT and inspectorate are almost invisible from the process. Identifying NQTs that are struggling is very tricky because schools are not allowed to have any evaluative function anymore. And really, the only things that are left are supporting the NQT and establishing groups for NQTs. However, these things aren't and weren't new concepts at the time. They were all happening already. Let's move on to guiding principle number five. NQT ownership of his or her personalized SEP program, the NQT assumes responsibility for his or her professional development. I mean, definitely that's something that's largely remained when it became Druid. So that's fine. Number six, consistency of access and provision nationally and sectorally. Now, whether or not this is happening, and my understanding is that it's, it isn't with school, anyway, between schools, as usual, doing their own version of things, which I generally would have no problem with, except in this case, one of the key problems of what became Drahid was how, it, how they wanted it done um, the same sectorally, i.e. Uh, the same in second level as primary level. Now, one of the most annoying things I have as a primary school teacher is how people tend to lump us in with the same arguments as, as second level, whether it's the silly stuff such as the number of months of holidays we get to more serious things such as assuming we get the same funding at second level when we get less than half, or even that our teaching methodologies are the same, which they aren't. Almost every argument I have with someone not in teaching, they will always draw on their experience of secondary school, even when I'm arguing about primary level. It's like trying to compare a GP with a consultant or a brain surgeon or something. They all work in the medical field and they're all doctors, but they have all got completely different jobs. Secondary schools and primary schools can't have the same wide sweeping rules put upon them because they are completely different. And this is why SEP was widely welcomed by second level teachers and unions and heavily opposed by primary level. SEP was never going to work as a cross-sectorial initiative if it was going to work at all. Let's look at number seven, quality. As evaluated through le quality learning assurance processes that are based on the standards for full registration. Well, ultimately that didn't pan out, did it? Number eight, access. Guaranteed access to school-based and out-of-school strands for all NQTs who have conditional registration. That did pan out, actually, <laughs> I guess. There you go. Flexibility. So as to cater for the small number of situations where particular circumstances make application of the standard model difficult. Now, this is an interesting one because there are times where flexibility isn't or wasn't something shown by the Teaching Council when it came to Drihid. For example, during COVID, the Council attempted to not allow for online learning to be counted towards Drihid. Now, that was reversed after there was uproar rather than consultation with members. And then finally, Guiding principle number 10, adequate planning and resourcing. The programme should have access to a well-resourced support service, appropriate structures, resources and processes, including professional development of mentors and principals, time for meetings with mentors, etc., should be in place to support the SEP programme. With regards to the latter, discrete time should be set aside by schools to meet identified needs. And as we'll see, resources were not adequate for the model and they still aren't. 
Now, the next part of this document talks about the components of SEP, which total five, and they even made a very pretty flowchart diagram of the five components, and they shaped it like an egg. Yes, an egg. In order for an NQT to get full teaching recognition, they'd have to go through a school strand and an out-of-school strand. Uh, this was, interestingly, <laughs> the yolk of this egg, and it was divided into two. It was a kind of a two-themed kind of egg yolk. Uh, and basically what it would do, it involved the NQT's development of a set plan in consultation with his or her mentor, the NQT's ongoing maintenance of his or her professional development portfolio as commenced during the ITE phase, the alignment of both strands with the standards which have been defined by the council as being appropriate for teachers at the end of their career entry phase. Oh my gosh, that's boring. Now remember, the plan was that this would be evaluated by the mentor and principal of the school, not the inspector. And to make matters even more complicated, that egg diagram of five components, there was the school-based strand. So in that, that was one component. That had six sub-components. So we better see what they look like before we fall asleep. One of six. A personalised programme of professional development and support which is planned by the NQT in consultation with a recognised mentor and coordinated by that mentor throughout the SEP period. Now, this still exists. And by personalised, I think they mean using a template to pick two or three things they'd like to focus on. And to be fair to what became Jerhid, I don't particularly have a problem with the NQT choosing areas they want to improve on. But I do have big questions about it too. We have to look at the perspective of Drihid in the eyes of every NQT. Now, every NQT, whether this is palatable or not to hear, their only goal is to tick that box at the end of the year so they can be fully recognised by the Teaching Council. How they get there doesn't matter to them. And if I were an NQT and I had the attitude that Drihid is something I have to get out of the way, and this is something that is said. And also, I know that I'm going to be observed by my mentors. I am going to pick something that I know I'll do well in. Because if I'm being observed, and I know my mentor is going to be judging me, and if I do a bad job, maybe I won't be asked back to the school the following year, if you know what I mean. Even without the evaluation strand of SEP, which became Drihid, the NQT is still being observed by a senior member of staff, and even if nothing is said, the NQT can feel that they're being judged, and if they aren't good enough, that maybe, maybe that will get back to the principal, who may not hire them the following year. So ultimately, there's a problem here, whether or not there's an official evaluation. So unless they completely remove the ticky box thing at the end of the process, this really isn't going to work. Let's move on to number two. The observation of and feedback on practice by the mentor and principal. So this has changed a little. Feedback is not allowed and the principal doesn't have to observe anymore. Now reading this section, it looked like there was um, there was going to be designated times where there were to be formal and informal meetings, one after 50 days and one after the end of the time the NQT was in the school. And it seemed to be a lot of meetings, particularly if one had a lot of NQTs in the school. So this is going to need quite a lot of resourcing, which, as we know, never came to fruition. Let's move on to number three. School visits arranged by the National Induction Programme for Teachers. Now, if the NQT 
Uh, sorry, if the school felt the NEQT wasn't up to scratch, they could call an outside member of the NIPT. Now, a lot of people at the time wondered whether it would just be simpler to have the probation of the NQT as the job of an outside NIPT person, but I guess it would defeat the purpose of this programme, but it was definitely a step any school could use. There were even ideas that every school could call for this support just to demonstrate how the whole thing was a really bad idea. Let's move on. I am yawning even now, which I believe it's such a boring document. I'm reading it and trying to explain it, but even trying to explain it is probably as boring. I apologise. I'm trying to litter it with uh, terrible jokes or something like that. I'm not doing very well. Anyway, number four, an evaluation of the NQT's professional practice and conduct based on professional conversations, the professional development portfolio and observations of practice. So these are things that they had to provide. So this is the big one. Basically, the school would have to evaluate whether an NQT was okay to be registered with the teaching council. Now, I love how they worded this. Let's, let's hear it. As professional practitioners working side by side with the NQT on a day-to-day -day basis, mentors and principals know the NQT and his or her professional values, practice and conduct. Based on their observations of the NQT's practice on a series of professional conversations in relation to that practice and on a review of the NQT's professional development portfolio, they too will be in a position to make an informed evaluation. Principals have ultimate responsibility for the teaching and learning in their schools and based on the collective evaluation carried out as part of SEP, they will be in the position to make an informed recommendation to the teaching council in relation to the NQT's suitability for entry into the profession. There were a huge number of leaps in that paragraph. It presumes that Ireland's education system isn't wrapped up in nepotism and parish pump politics. I worked in a school once where there were six sets of mothers and daughters working together. Can you imagine a principal failing one of those daughters? I mean, what about the local GAA hero who does a bit of teaching on the side in his parish and is clearly useless? What principal is going to fail the local parish boy done good? And yes, this is a terrible projection on school principals who I'm saying can't be trusted to put aside their relationships and do the right thing. The trouble is that schools are all about relationships. In fact, without relationships in schools, there is nothing else. I mean, just look at the UK and the role of the head teacher over there and how isolated principals are from their staff. Every single UK teacher that used to come to our school on an Erasmus trip used to be fascinated at that I went to the staff room with the rest of the staff because their head teacher would never do this. I've worked in a good few schools in Ireland and it would seem mad to me if the principal wasn't in the staff room. And Irish school culture is based on trust and relationships and that is a good thing. Ultimately, the biggest flaw in SEP was this one. And the only way it was going to work was if the entire dynamics of the primary school were changed. In some ways, and I can only go anecdotally on this one, this wasn't as big an issue for second level principals. I only have a few schools to go on with this, but the dynamics do appear very different. From the very few joint primary and secondary school conferences I've been to, there definitely is a very different vibe going on between the two. Almost every single presentation I've watched from a secondary school principal sounds like something you'd see on The Apprentice. Do you remember that TV show, The Apprentice with Alan Sugar? Or, at worst, The Office. And you can pick the US or the UK one, I don't care.
but at worst they were like that. And as an aside, I think this is going to be one of the struggles the ETB are going to have when they finally take over the entire primary education system. I don't think most Irish primary school principals are going to take too kindly to the office speak and policy obsession of the ETB. Anyway, back to SEP. Number five, the provision of an independent evaluation of the NQT by the inspectorate in cases where significant professional difficulties have been identified. Now, I wonder if this fifth step has ever been enacted by any primary school. I guess given that there's no value system allowed anymore, there's probably no way to justify its, in, its enactment. However, this was to be part of step, SEP. And finally, part six, completion and submission of the final report to the teaching council which now seems to be known by the cool gang as Form D. Hey, have you been Form D yet, lad? You'll hear down the place where the young teachers hang out. No, I'm only joking, you know. But, you know, I, I've told you this is really boring reading. I kind of like the idea. Have you been Form d um, I'd love that. I'd love to ask people that. That sounds like a really good way instead of inducted. You've been informed deed. Anyway, I'm pushing this. It's not funny. Um, once the final report is sent to the teaching council, there are wild celebrations in the school for completing the process because they've managed to convince that pesky mentor and even peskier principal that they're good enough to be teachers. And there's cake and hugs and tears and... Yeah, right. It must be such an anti-climax to complete Drihid these days. Heh. So you've been farm deed there, Mary, says someone in the staff room. Yes, gushes Mary. It was a tough old 60 days and it was touch and go for a while, but I managed to build myself up and decide that I could tick that box to say I was good enough to become a registered teacher. Fair play to you, Mary, says the teacher. And Mary sits down with her ham sandwich, wondering why nobody gives a toss. There's something nice about overcoming a challenge, so that's why we used to celebrate the dip as it was known. Now there's nothing to overcome now, so you're stuck with your own ham sandwich, which kind of seems like a fair result. I do know there are some schools, usually run by proponents of Drahid, who try and recreate the magic of passing the dip, and they put up selfies of their NQTs with their Form Ds and their professional support team with some sort of congratulations message. <sighs> I don't know. There is a note as queer as folk, as they say. If you're around at this time, however, the big phrase of the teaching council at the time was that NQTs would be active and equal participants in all meetings and they would co-sign the interim and final reports. It even became a mantra, even though it made absolutely no sense. Yes, you are equal and active participants in all meetings, NQTs, even though someone else above you will be judging you. I mean, it made no sense, even logically. Clearly, they weren't equal participants in the conversations because they were the only ones that had anything to lose or gain from it. As far as the other people are concerned, there was nothing to gain or lose by the process. I equal, equal indeed. And that didn't stop the teaching council going on and on and on with the same mantra throughout. It was almost funny. And it's a tactic you'll see a lot in education these days. I mean, think about it. Whether that was the infamous schools are safe mantra used by Norma Foley and her prefects, or whether it was the prefects themselves repeating, we will always be guided by public health advice. Even if it meant throwing their own members under the bus, which happened at least once overtly and quite a bit covertly. So 
That is a summary of the in-school plans for the early iteration of SEP. I'm sure you're gagging to learn what the out-of-school strand is. I mean, I'm barely able to stay awake for this episode. But I'm afraid you're just going to have to wait until next time when I continue the story of the roots of Drihid. I'm very disappointed in myself uh, that there haven't been more bridge jokes, so I will try and do better. Um, Because I kind of want to make sure I squeeze in something before I end. There must be a way I can squeeze a bridge joke in here. Maybe I can keep you in suspension? No. No, 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 that's that's even a stretch by my terrible, terrible standards. So there you have it, our first part of the story of Drihid. And we've got through quite a lot there in the first 50 minutes or so. Listen, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you did, please tune in next week for the second part of the story of Drihid. And maybe you'd consider subscribing or uh, leaving a review of this podcast on whatever platform you use. Uh, That's it for me for this week. Thanks so much for listening. All the very best.